Good afternoon and welcome into Two Man Game here on Claves Online. I'm Matthew Rocchio. That's Bob Ramsey here. We'll talk a little bit of basketball, specifically a little bit of Bills basketball in the end. We're going to top it off with some NBA that we haven't gotten to in a while, but obviously, Rammer, we're going to have to dive into that Bills game. First of all, let's start off on the positives. How are you doing today, sir? Doing pretty well. Life on the road can wear you out a little bit, but um, um, it's it's all good. It was as good a trip as you could have going into New York because that can wear you out a little bit. But everything went smoothly except for the outcome of the game. So it's all good. Absolutely. And let's dive right into that outcome. It was a rough one for the Billikens. They were trying to move their winning streak to seven games for the first time ever in the Travis Ford era. And unfortunately, they came up against a hot Fordham Rams team beat them 75 to 65. And, and let's just get right into, you know, some of the, the big questions from this game. I think the big thing that, that people are going to look at is going to be the, the shooting numbers. Obviously not a big offensive game, really slow start. They're they at, at about, you know, 20, 20, 25 points with the, with the first half, you know, closing down. But, you know, the two for nine from the three-point line really jumps out. Just right out of the gates, your thought uh, kind of about the flow of the offense as you were calling the game. Well, um, I give all credit to the Fordham Rams who, you know, kind of backed up a couple of things I've been saying for a while. Maybe it's even more true than ever in the transfer portal era is, um, and Mizzou um, did the same thing. They shut some mouths early. Just because you haven't played anybody doesn't mean you can't beat people. Um, uh, uh, scheduling is very difficult. And sometimes in a position where you're in a league that may not be in the top six leagues in the country, you know, you've got to schedule non-conference heavy, but if you don't, and if you, if you're in a strong league and you've got, um, uh, you know, you're going to get strength of schedule points in your league, you can sort of build your team up to it. That's what Missouri did. Brilliant scheduling. It worked out great. Now, Fordham did it both ways. In a league that's off this year, maybe not even top 10, maybe 11th or 12th. Uh, we could debate that another time, but probably no better than 10th. And they didn't worry about it. They said, we got to win games. We got to put this team together. We got to build. We got to build positively, figure out who we are, find our identity. And they won games. And they came into the league and lost a couple, and everybody goes, okay, back to reality, same old Fordham Rams. Uh-uh, not so fast. Oh, they ride the ship. No, no, no. They go on a, on a winning streak. And the most important thing about the winning streak, they won three league games on the road in a row. This team, what they might be lacking in overall offensive firepower, they pick up an absolute physicality and toughness and desire, a willingness to do whatever it takes to win. I was very impressed with Foreman. By the way, really happy for them, despite their winning streak continuing at the expense of my Billikens. Happy for them. Um, talked to uh, their SID, been there 26 years, and uh, last night's win was the biggest win. He goes, the biggest win in 26 years. Um, unfortunately, two times this year's that that's happened. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, and now Fordham completely sold out, student section, standing room only. 
unbelievably loud. Even with headphones on, our engineer had to manipulate things so we could hear ourselves, even with headphones on. Yeah, um, that, 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 yeah, that was a really good atmosphere, man. Very happy for them. Now, back to on the court. Their, their toughness reminded me of what we saw also in New York at Iona. Um, mm -hmm. The two worst games of Yuri Conlon's career comes as a senior, technically a fourth-year junior, but comes as a senior by two teams that said, we don't care what anybody else – well, they care, but their number one priority was blitzing Yuri Collins on the first pass and or the first move off a screen. And you've been really diving into X's and O's more than even me and have the opportunity. Sometimes in the moment you're, I'm trying to watch the ball to be able to talk about mm -hmm. the ripple effect of that <laughs> first move. But that's my answer to the shooting. The Bills did have a couple of open threes early, maybe one mm -hmm. or two late. But what we're hoping to see, nine out of 20, you know, 10 out of 22. Not only were the makes not there, the attempts weren't there. I mm -hmm. think it all goes back to the toughness and not allowing Collins to get involved. It's long-winded, but – I think it all ties together. Yeah, and I think I think it accounts for the fact that the game all, always felt off. I'm a little skeptical. Like, I don't want to take away from Fordham, but there were just so many plays in the first half for for St. Louis where Fordham had Fordham played some good denial on Yuri to you know stop them and, and force them to put the ball in, in JP's or or Javon's hands to start the possession. But there were a lot of possessions where it feels like SLU acquiesced to that decision almost where they said okay they're, they're they're playing yuri really hard let's have javon bring this one up and, and start the offense and then fordham was getting away with completely sagging off of yuri collins as an off-ball player and so i and, and so then i think what you saw in the second half was slew saying and, and finally i think this has been a problem sometimes slew dictating their own terms and saying yuri's a good enough dribbler even if he's getting pressure, we're going to run our offense through him and work and work off that pressure. And I think the problem was is that they showed themselves not in that day they had before showed themselves not to be good enough to execute in that pressure yesterday. They, they just weren't good enough that day. And so well, I, I was like, again, I want to give Fordham some credit, but one, but I, I didn't. I think there's some there's some fault to St. Louis in the first half, but then also a little bit of credit for them making a change and going with the best player on their team in the second half, which is what I thought they did. Well, your point guard, your your All-American point guard, had to sit out half of the first half. What are you supposed to do? Yeah. You got, well, a, freshman, you got a freshman backup point guard who's not a point guard. Yeah. He's a two-guard. I think there's some – but there's also – it was pointed out on the broadcast, Travis – you know, this is this is tracked by Ken Palm. Travis is – you know, Travis and Slew – uh, play players with two fouls at the one of the lowest rates in the entire country. And so there are some people who, who have wondered, this was a, a question in the Davidson game as well. And, and, you know, the game right before that, you know, Travis's propensity to quote unquote, foul out his own players. And so I think that that was another question within the reasoning. I think there's fans in the St. Louis fan base who would then say, well, yeah, that brings us to another question about how St. Louis is being coached right now. Well, I would like to, I, to anybody who says that, I'd like, like to coach against you. <laughs> That's uh, so you, don't, so you don't think Travis is is fouling out his his, his players at a what do you, you know not well, playing with two fouls like that? What if he gets a third foul? 
And I mean, what are you going to do? Again, you don't have, um, and this is not, this is not a shot at Larry Hughes. He's not a point guard. Mm-hmm. He's had to step in. Yeah. And, and what, you're going to, you're going to play the, you know, what do you do? You're, you're in big trouble. Now, if you want to say, well, how come you didn't get a good point guard in there? Yeah, true. But who's going to be good to play that? Who would come to play five minutes a game? Yeah, that was something we talked about all offseason. We kept saying yeah, well, there, there seems to be a backup point guard spot, but again, who's going to take it? That's if good. You know, anything else available that's going to give right. them, you know more than five minutes per game. So, um, I th- I think it goes to not so much decision making. That that's too much. I think that's a, I think that's a cop out. Um, what's not a cop out is that you've seen two or three times this year the opposition quite frankly, just be tougher. And yep. you've got, you've got a group of players that, and I don't mean this in a, uh, in a macho way, but in a technical way of they're softer, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not Fred Thatch. They're not Jordan Goodwin. Would, would Gibson Jimerson tell you he's as tough as Jordan Goodwin? No, he wouldn't. He knows what his skill set is. Same with Javante Perkins, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why you could count on Goodwin and French and some of those guys, Javon Best before them, these tough situations. Um, now, that's not the – so, but here's the problem. You can't concede. So no. that's where you and I, I think, would agree. What yeah. do you do? I think that um, in the, uh, the first half, the Billikens combated it nicely. They kept pounding it in. Um, to Francis Okoro, who was brilliant, brilliant. Like you said, and like you said, if if two more open threes, and they were getting open looks in the first half, if two more fall, um, you know, you, you know, at, at some Change point, you open, yeah, you at some point you open up a ten point lead, and then everything changes down the line from there. What I did think, and I'd like to talk to the coaches. It's an it's a question and observation, not a criticism. I thought as the second half evolved um, to try and free up Yuri. To get mm-hmm. to get him in the best possible situation to take over the game, they brought Franco out too too often. Instead, yeah. now and, and so you say, yeah, let's keep him low, let's get him the ball. But if you're doubling Yuri, how can he get get there to get him the ball? It's really quite a conundrum. And um, I go I go back to uh, I go back to Fordham. I, I just thought they were remarkable. Yeah, that, that, that was a really good, I mean, and a really good defensive group. I mean, Quisenberry, Khalid Moore, Charlton, and Rose, they all showed out. You know, they all almost averaged two steals a game individually. And it, it's because of a, of a lot of physical, good team defense. Um, so, so, again, I was impressed by that. The, the point you just made about Okoro, though, I think that does go back to one question we've had as a through line, which is when the pick and roll gets Okoro the ball, when he got one dribble move, or you know one dribble step you know step through kind of kind of layup, then he's successful. But too often when the pass from Yuri has to come to Okoro at the free throw line or or you know further out, he's not as good with with doing anything with it. And a lot of times you saw he, he a couple times you know one time he got called for an offensive foul for for um, a, a charge. Another time he was just dribbling out way too far from his body and they just snatched it went the other way. And so. I, I think that's a good point for Fordham, but I think that that's been an issue with St. Louis in 
putting Francis in the best position to succeed and score in the pick and roll at times when teams have blitzed them. So it's not, it's, again, it's not saying that, that, that Slew's just not playing well. It's that they haven't developed the correct counter for a situation they've seen multiple times that has worked against them. Well, specific to last night, I disagree completely. Yeah, he made he made he made those mistakes. Guys miss shots. Guys oh, get turnovers. Great. Yeah, but but to the point of getting the ball out away from the basket, he also got two assists. Yes, what were did. those? Catching, making a move, seeing the defense come, find somebody in the corner. I think his game is evolving. I agree. Early in the year, there's no doubt. You're a hundred percent right. But I think Franco's game is improving, and I think last night was an example of that. Um, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that. I actually um, pulled this up because I was watching the game and I wanted to take. I couldn't pull any video, but I was able to just take a couple quick stills. Not the greatest thing, but I mean, this is this is one of them right now that I'm putting up on the screen for you, Rammer. And this is right here. I mean, you see Francis Okoro there at the top of the key. He's got a wide open TJ Hargrove. This is a play that he hasn't always made at the highest level. Eventually, he he did snap that pass over to TJ Hargrove. And they got a good look from it. Again, it's a good look that they didn't hit. But nonetheless, that's the kind of play. And earlier on in the game, on the short roll, he made a great pass out to, I think it was either uh, Sincere or Javante early in the, in the first half, where he got it on the pick and roll. He made a great pass. And that was the passing that we hadn't seen from him. So you're, you're I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not taking anything away from the game he played. I'm 100% set talking about putting him in the best position to succeed yeah. against a coverage that they've seen be so successful against them. The blitz works, and they got to figure out a way. And, again, one of those ways has always been him making that extra pass, and they've been so much better about that. I think that's been something that has really impressed me. You know, we, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Davidson win, but, they, you know, that was such a big win in Belk Arena. And, I, and so and I think we saw a lot of great passing. I, th- I thought we saw um, Jake Forrester had a couple really good passes out of the short roll. I thought Gibson Jimerson was a better passer throughout that game as well. And so, um, you know, he had a couple long skip passes. So you're 100% right. That part of their offense has been getting so much better and was better even in the Fordham game. It just kind of gets glossed over when you, when you don't win. When you don't win and you re- – I mean, it's clear you struggled offensively. There's no doubt yes. about that. Um, you know, and the, the few times the Billikens, when the defense overplayed and they put it on the floor – but you've got to be so strong on the ball to to make the overplaying defense pay, mm-hmm. pay the price for guarding you that way, and they just couldn't do it enough. Exactly, and, and I think that's you know, you, Fordham's a good defensive team at the rim, and they and they block a lot of shots, and they they, they yeah. get a lot of steals, and so that's you know, I think that, that's why some people were wondering about the number of three point shots. If you're getting those looks early. Why not maybe try to, to get the similar, you know, manufacture more looks in the second half? And that kind of brings me to something you were mentioning earlier. The amount, I, at least I, I saw in the second half, the amount of off-ball movement that they would usually use to create for Gibson and Javante, I didn't see that as much. And again, that's probably, that's, you have to attribute that to what Fordham is doing defensively to stop them from doing it. But nonetheless, I thought Fordham shut that down completely, yeah. and we saw. I mean, it, it, I mean, it was it was a fraction of what we usually see in that kind of movement from Slew, and that's where they get so many of their of their shots. Well, an, an overarching statement is they wouldn't let the Billikens get into their offense. 
whether yeah. it's point guard, whether it's cuts, whether it's uh, screens to get open for, you know, curl screens for jump shots, Fordham wouldn't let them get into it. And the Billikens couldn't or wouldn't um, do what was necessary to make Fordham pay for those decisions. And, and that's why I think that's, I think the most important thing to pull from this game. And when you talk about where St. Louis is in the conference, where the conference is, when you talk about they're in the, first you know, place, the end goal, wait, what? They're in first, the end, so where they are in the conference, they're in first place. The end goal, aren't they tailing in second place now? No. Okay. Tied, battle for first on Friday. There you go. Um, and so, but the thing is, it's all about the conference. You know, it's about getting the double buy and while winning the conference tournament because that's how you get into the that's how you get into the big dance. And so the questions are, how did they be the best team come tournament time? And right. right here, I think those things you're talking about are the things to focus on and see can yeah. they improve that and get it to a more consistent point where you can be more confident that across a week they can play the hardest basketball of their season. That's the big thing. You look at the shooting and you look at the numbers. You see two and nine. But if you watch this game and break it down, it's not a game that has me worrying about the shooting like we were in early January. And you tack it on to the end of the run they had against LaSalle and against George Mason and against uh, Davidson, and I'm not that worried about the shooting anymore. I, you know, there are other, other parts of the offense. There's still those, those stagnant chunks. But those are the things I'm not worrying. But there are like some things that pop up in this game that you want to see improved going forward to the actual conference tournament time. You saw what Iona did to the Billikens. You saw what Fordham did. Um, everybody's got to try it. And we have seen a lot of other teams blitz that first pass or that screen. And uh, the Bills are going to see more of it uh, the rest of the way. So I I can't tell you how to combat it. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it was It's really frustrating to watch. But when you've got the best point guard and you've got a big man who um, is starting to dominate at the rim on both ends, you've got some opportunities to figure out answers, I think. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. Again, we just kind of get glossed over with, with you know, the, the Davidson win. You know, Francis Coral has been incredible. You know, you know you, the 20 rebound games a couple, a couple weeks ago, and now what he's been able to do offensively, uh, like you said, the passing is coming into his own. He's been incredible. And so my big question for you, looking across the last seven games, the six game wins, and the loss last night at Fordham has the biggest, which has been a bigger jump for you when you talk about the Billikens being a successful basketball team. Has it been Francis Zocoro and Jake Forrester continuing to develop and finally being the fives we expected? Or has it been the kind of re regression towards the or, or progression towards the mean for Gibson Jimerson and Javante Perkins shooting the ball? Which so far over the last seven games has been the more important improvement for the Billikens and will be the more improvement, more important improvement going forward? It's a really good question. That's why you ask him, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm going to say Okoro and Forrester because I think the shooting is going to come along and it's, it's not close to where it needs to be. And here's why. Go look at the – pick out the guys we're talking about who are shooters. Uh, Perkins, Jimerson. Parker, let's take those three. Mm -hmm. And it's each game, one's up, one's down. These two are hitting, this guy's not. 
still haven't had really very many of those games where everybody's red hot. And for the Billikens to win the league, assuming they can get into the top four, to win those games Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're going to have to, in all likelihood, you're going to, you would expect that you would need everybody playing well. Because we've seen when a team's take a couple of items of your offense away, the Bills really struggle. So two of nine, you go four of nine, all of a sudden that whole game changes uh, yesterday. Just two more threes changes things. Well, you lost by 10. Yes, but it changed, would have changed the flow of the game. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think a Coral Forester have really come along and to the point where I'm counting on them. Now I need the shooters and maybe we include Larry Hughes in that as well. Um, uh, to start to get after it uh, and, and be m- more consistent where the three point shot is not, hey, we're on tonight, isn't this a positive, but this is a consistent weapon every single night. That's where they got to get. Absolutely, and that wraps up our, our Billigan stock for today. We're going to do a little bit of, of an end here on the NBA, something we haven't gotten to talk a lot because we've just been diving so hard into the Billigan, which has been a blast. Yeah. But, Rammer, I've been catching back up to the NBA over the last few weeks, and I have a couple thoughts. The first one I want to throw out to you is one presented by our uh, our, our cohort, our colleague, big man upstairs, Mike Claiborne, who who presented to me and he said, have you think you've ever seen this many 50-point games before an all-star break before? And he's absolutely right, by the way. The NBA uh, has set a a number uh, of records over the last, like, 30 years for how many 50-point games they've seen already. They're on pace to have the most 50-point games they've ever seen in a season. It's been incredible. I think a big part of it, obviously, is – it, you know, there's not the same defensive intensity and, uh, you know, there's not the same, not even defensive intensity, because I'm not saying it's that much easier to score, but I just think that there's a little bit different feeling when you score your 35th now. And back in the day, I have a feeling the guys probably started hitting you harder uh, when you were going for 40 on their heads. Uh, and that doesn't happen today. Uh, and I'll, I'll just be 100% legitimate about that. So I'm going to throw it to you, Rammer, because I also think one of the reasons we're seeing this is one of your biggest pet peeves, which is too often in the NBA, one team is at full strength or one team is down one player, but the other team they're facing is down four players because of a weird ha- a weird happening with, with players sitting out this season. I honestly think it's a combination of a lot of factors, including, again, not just bad defense, but great offense. There's always that factor. But I really do think there are some negatives and some things the NBA maybe does need to worry about with this recent jump in the 50-point game specifically. Yeah, it seems like I talk about it every episode, so I don't want to beat the drum too bad, but there's a perfect example. Lakers are playing, and their best two players sit, and one of them is not hurt. Yeah, we need to – yeah, Davis has got to rest. Now, I don't think it was a dumb move. Davis is injured – you know, he's brittle, and they need him. So I'm not criticizing – the idea that we're better at we being the Lakers, I'm talking for them, that we're better in the long run if we keep Anthony rested so he stays healthy. I get that, but it's not a good look for the game. By no, the game, not. I mean the fans, because that's just one example, and it happens every night in the league, all over the league. The, the answer is easy, but not realistic. 
You like that sentence? Yeah, I like that. No, that's good. And, and really, they play, it, they play it, too it, many games, but yeah, that'll I, never change. It, it can never change. It's just the the way the economics works. It's, it's never going to change. And so, I, I think the best, the only way to solve it. I mean, guys want their money. And here's the thing: the players got to think about this. Players want their money. It would be easier on LeBron James if he played 32 minutes a night, but he still wants to play 36 minutes a night because he's a star player. And I, I, I just think, you know, and, I, and maybe that's that's simplifying things too much, but I think, you know, there's play, players want their money, teams want their money, no one wants to lose anything in the collective bargaining factor. You know, if you if you lose, if you lock 20 million off revenue, the you know collectively bargained, players are going to lose. You know, part of their percentage as well. So the players don't want to lose it either. So there has to be some kind of there has to be a come to Jesus moment on both sides of this thing to get it solved because that everyone's profiting over over the problem essentially. And so that's that's the only way to get to fix it. Um, again, and you're, here's the thing: you're not going to fix you know there being a lack of you know defense across the league either because here's the thing: you get the first three months, everyone's playing hard because no one knows what's going to happen. Then you start hitting the malaise in March and, and April where the team, some teams know where they are. Other teams know where they are in a good way. Other teams, again, some teams know where they are in a bad way. And then you have the teams in the middle who are fighting, and, that, and, and, and rarely are they playing each other. They're playing teams that are top four, so they know where they are. They're playing teams that are bottom four, so they know where they are. They're playing a lot of 18, you know, 20-year-olds who aren't, aren't playing defense. Um, I'm looking at you, Houston Rockets. Um, and so that's – the problem then you get now, and again, now you have guys like Kawhi or LeBron who are going to start saving up their body for the playoffs because the yeah. team is where they want them to be. And so, again, there's a lot of issues here. I don't want that to overlook the fact that it's been an incredibly fun season of the NBA to watch. Um, the Celtics, you know, came out to a raucous start and have cooled off, but still Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown every night are putting on a show. Um, we talked a lot about the Memphis Grizzlies. I talk a lot about the Denver Nuggets. We probably don't talk nearly enough about the Philadelphia 76ers, but that duel yeah. and Embiid and Jokic, Jokic, again, you get two stars who are both playing and are both healthy and are both out there to play 40 minutes that night. It's the best television on that night, whatever you turn your TV on, you know? And so yeah. that's the beauty of it. That's what we're still getting this season. Um, you know, it's another incredible run in the MVP race between the big men, um, Chris Middleton, came back from his knee injury finally with the Bucks and looking there, they rip off a 9-0 um, streak right when he comes in because if you didn't learn it when they won the actual championship, Chris Middleton is the most underrated second man in the league, maybe the most underrated player in the entire league, and he's proven it again. There are issues, there are some problems, but again, Kawhi and Durant are on the court healthy at the same time. The Nets might be the best team in the league again, or maybe they are more like a four seed like they've been playing lately. We don't know that yet. If they both get on the on the court healthy at the same time, though, it's going to be sure as hell a lot of fun to find out. And so there's a lot of negatives, but, man, star players healthy, NBA is still just so much damn fun to watch. I think there are maybe more true stars now than ever. Mm -hmm. Maybe that goes to the 50-point games. Yeah. I mean, we could just start listing off the guys we consider stars, and there are so many of them that on a given night can pop you for 40 or 50 points. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so uh, that the, the NBA has always been about star power. Now, back in the old days, the old days, right, where it's grinding and everybody plays hard every night, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's ancient history. 
but the stars are still um, providing a great entertainment value. Anybody who wants to deny that, I think they're just trying to take a position. I don't think it holds water. St the star power is as um, as magnetic, drawing eyes to games as it's ever been. And, and one last point here, and then we will we'll sign off today. I cannot – the trade deadline season should be fascinating in the NBA, and the reason I bring that up is only because the man, the, 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 you know, the finger in the dam that's stopping the NBA trade deadline deluge from opening up is what is going to happen to OG Ananobi with the Toronto Raptors. And obviously the reason I bring that up is because OG Ananobi went to Jeff City High School. Um, and not enough people in Missouri or St. Louis or Kansas City, you know, you know, talk about the fact that OG uh, is a Missouri kid where he played his high school ball after moving over here from, uh, I believe, the United Kingdom, where his dad was a professor. Um, and so local Missouri kid is right now the biggest name with NBA experts because where he goes as a three and D defender who six that you know set seven foot almost wingspan, he can guard five through the two. And he can knock down threes. He can pick the ball up and score off the dribble. What happens with OG Onanobi if it's the if, if it's the Memphis Grizzlies, which I would freaking love because I think he's exactly what they've been missing, or maybe even it's something like the Suns put together a, a combination to try to knock themselves back into contention with their you know championship roster, maybe having one more last reach with Chris Paul on it. I'm not sure where he's going to go, but all I know is that once the Jeff City grad gets traded by the Raptors. NBA's trade season is going to go wild, and we're going to be talking about five or six different teams in the top half of the league who look a little bit different come April 1st than they did February 1st, and it's going to be interesting to see how that changes the dynamic. You know, you're right, and it doesn't matter what you or I or any given NBA fan or pundit thinks who's really a contender or not. The only thing that matters is what does the team think, and that's how you have to look at, oh, well, Phoenix, they can't – doesn't matter. Does Phoenix think with this move or that move they can make make a run? And I kind of think that depending on the move, gosh, I can think, is there are there 10 teams that with the right move could win? I feel as great as the Celtics have been, are they perfect? Watch the Celtics. They may pretty, yeah. I mean, if they go, you know what, we're really good, but what if Brooklyn or Milwaukee or somebody makes the one move, can they get past us in a seven-game series? Those are the things that the GMs have to think about. And um, I think you're right. I think it could be a wild trade time. And, and some people might be saying, well, there's already been a trade for a, a young wing. Uh, why did that not open the floodgates? Because um, uh, that, was a, that was one poverty franchise uh, trading to a very overrated franchise, and that was, of course, Rui Hachimura getting traded to the Washington or uh, the, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. That trade pissed me off, Rammer. I want the Hachimura best for trade. Yes, I want the best for Bradley Beal, Jordan Goodwin, and Wes Unsell Jr. And the best for them is outside of the Washington Wizards organization. I hated that trade. I hated it then. I hate it now. You do you, you do not trade away lottery picks for a gaggle of second rounders when you're still a young team trying to – and you have your star who's locked up for a couple more years and is saying, let's build a team around me, and then you just completely punt on it. I just – I hate what the Wizards are doing with that trade. It bothers me that 
three great people with St. Louis ties, unfortunately, have to be mired alongside it. I agree with you, but just so it's not a pile-on conversation, what if what if the Wizards said, we made a mistake? He's he's not a lottery guy. I just I I mean that's, that's you and a, I may that, think he you you and I may think he is, but what if they go, boy, you know I I saw him in person a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, does he have an assist this year? Um, I, not many. He averages about one a game. Um, I could but I, I mean, could see somebody going, yeah, we took a shot. That was not a lot. That was not a, uh, there's no, not lottery pick value there. We miffed on that one. And, and just, just a maybe, thought. Maybe that, that's certainly, I'm sure what their argument would be. My point would be the guy, the guy's 24 years, the guy's 23 years old and, and he's been averaging, you know, double digits his entire career. He's low double digits, but double digits his entire career. Again, you can trade them. Just don't get three second round picks and try to act like this isn't just you punt. This isn't you just like punting on a first round pick, you yeah. know, three years after the fact. It, it, was, it yeah. was a bad trade. I stand by it. And if, hey, if GM LeBron thinks he can help them win a couple of games, then maybe the, maybe the Wizards are right. I don't know. GM LeBron doesn't have the best track record in the world, come to think of it. All right, Raver, that's going to wrap up the two-man game. We're going to be back a little later in the week, hopefully, talking a little bit of VCU and the Billikens. It is an incredibly tough matchup, like you said. Friday night in shape, it's going to be a battle for first place. Whoever wins that game, or if, if the Billikens win that game, it'll be knotted up at 8-3. and three. They'll have the head-to-head over VCU, so an incredibly important battle coming up between the Billikens and VCU. And we'll be talking about that, hopefully, here on the two-man game. Raymond, before we go, I want to tell everybody about – Mungan ass St. Louis Acura. It's crazy. I get in my car today. My, uh, I turn it on and I get a little sensor there in, in, uh, on my on my uh, steering wheel, and it just says oil change needed. And I and I look at my percentage. I see what it's at. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. I get to work. I check my email, and right there is a reminder from Mungan ass St. Louis Acura that it's time for me to come in for a service on my vehicle. I don't know how. I do not know how the exact day that my car tells me. Munganass also tells me, but that's the kind of service they're bringing to you every day. So that's why I take my car again. I didn't get my car there. I'm going to get my next car there. I didn't get this one there, but I take it there to be serviced because they're on top of things no matter what your needs are. So thank you very much to Munganass St. Louis Acura. Rammer, about time for us to get out of here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I will talk to you later. You have a great rest of your day, sir. Thank you, Rock. Enjoyed it. Talk to you later. Talk to you later, Amber, and talk to you later, St. Louis. Have a great day. From our roots in St. Louis, Royal Banks of Missouri is branching out to continue serving you with our locations in St. Charles, Jerseyville, Granite City, and now in Hannibal, Center, and New London. Royal Banks of Missouri, the community bank in your community.